Welcome to On Hawaiian Time. But first, coffee. Go to oht.rocks and click on the merch link to get Ka'u Mana Peaberry Coffee, 100% Ka'u Peaberry Beans from the island of Hawaii. Theme music, please. Aloha, everybody. Welcome to On Hawaiian Time. I'm Mick Kalber. I'm Bruce Omori. And you are On Hawaiian Time. Welcome, everybody, to the show today. We've got a really, really great show for you, somebody that will thrill and amaze you. And who's our guest today, Annie? It's you, honey. It's me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Okay. We're, we're here to talk about uh, your background or your history with news. I have history? You have history, honey. Oh, my God. You do. Um, so everybody <laughs> knows about your uh, volcano footage. Mm-hmm. It's, it's internationally known. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it would be really interesting to talk about your background and, and history with the news industry. All right, that sounds like a great show. Mm. Okay, <laughs> let's do around the Zoom before we get to that. Okay, Bruce, what have you been doing? Well, this past week, I announced my 2021 storm chasing workshop collaboration with my buddy Brian Pesman and my good dear friend uh, Ryan Dyer from Seattle. So in late June and early July next year, we're going to be chasing some severe weather. Great. Now, this is what you had to cancel this last summer? Yeah, we canceled this past summer because of COVID. Hopefully, you won't have COVID next year. Yeah, really. Yeah. Great. That's exciting. Or you can chase storms with your mask on. (laughs) (laughs) What's Jimmy been up to? Uh, What have I been up to? Well, editing um, an ESPN project I'm working on uh, behind the scenes for their technical crews. I haven't been out behind the scenes with them, but I'm doing some editing for them on that. And. Considering following Bruce out to chase some storms, chase storm chasers chasing oh. storms. But uh, again, that would depend if COVID's going on, because if it's not, maybe I'll be doing some ESPN on location stuff. Fingers crossed. That's that about it. Fun. Nothing too exciting. Annie? Oh, uh, once again, still organizing my house. I'm, I, once it gets organized, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself, but that and out in the yard. Uh, that's my uh, my. Happy place is being out in the yard, other than being right next to Mick. Yeah, that's how special. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I have been mostly picking up avocados. It's avocado season, so we're picking them up off the ground and picking them off the tree and giving them to as many friends as we can find because we can't possibly eat that many. Uh, they're fat, but they're good fat. Um <laughs> And working on my project, on my editing project of um, the eruption that happened here two years ago. Two years. Can you believe it's been two years? Here we are, you know. So um, anyway, life is good in spite of COVID. You know, COVID has actually given us an excuse to stay home and and do nothing. Not do nothing, but stay home anyway. Hey, can I sneak a little little plug in here? Um, Uh The little rundown you see on the side there. So we're going to do the lava fix at the end of every episode in season two. So 
this time Mick's going to share a little bit of lava and we're going to talk Ooh, lava. So stay tuned for that. Miss it. Be there or be square. <laughs> so Annie, <laughs> let's talk. Well, I thought it'd be interesting to start off with um, your um, life uh, and, and news. How did, uh, how did that look growing up? You know, I was actually kind of born into the business in a way. Uh, my father was a big-time newsman, um, not initially. When we were in Omaha, he had just first started. My, his name was Floyd Calber, by the way. Um, he started the newsroom at KMTV in Omaha. He was a pioneer of television news. It was at a time when there hadn't been any television news, and he, along with a number of other people around the country, invented television news. I stand by item six. Today we're at dawn of a new decade. The fabulous 50s are history. The golden 60s, still a newborn mystery. He became pretty well known uh, to the network uh, in the 50s for the floods in Kansas City and, and Omaha. And later on, other stories, including the, the pinnacle, was um, Charles Starkweather's mass murder spree uh, throughout Nebraska, which had everybody scared to death. But my father mm -hmm. came uh, to prominence in NBC at that time, and they, they ended up making him an offer to go to Chicago, for which he asked for like three times more than he thought they would pay, and they said, okay. And so we moved <laughs> to Chicago. And I went to high school, junior high and high school in Chicago. And then I went back to Nebraska for school, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. So that's kind of the way it started. Is Nebraska as boring as they say it is? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, great, <laughs> back then we had a great football team, not so much anymore, but um, uh, really wonderful football team. So we kind of lived for football. Nebraska doesn't have any other sports. There's no professional sports there. And um, so everybody lives and dies for Nebraska football. Um, you know, it was a good place to have keg parties and go on hay rack rides and, you know, do stuff like that when I was in college. And, and I did. So I'm wondering, where else would people have seen your dad uh, on the, for the news? Well, uh, once we went to Chicago, my father was um, got busy doing the, the early news first and then the early and the late news, 6 o'clock and the 10 o'clock news in Chicago for WMAQ, Channel 5. And eventually, um, very rapidly, within a year or two, that became a number one show. Um, and he dominated the market there for about 15 years. And uh, sometime in, I guess it was the late 60s, um, he started doing a five-minute national newscast. It was a, called a cut-in at 320, at varied times, 325, 125, and that. And it was just five minutes, and he'd give a blurb of the news, and then it was always uh, Floyd Calber, NBC News, Chicago. It's about the only, rep, only thing I can do with my father. This is the NBC News Night Report with Floyd Calbert. This portion presented in part by American Airlines. One person dead, over 100 injured, and 12 still hospitalized. He had the pipes, <laughs> but I was a better photographer than he was. And then um, he, he, he left the business, actually, for a while, uh, but not before he went to the Today Show. He actually did the news in Chicago with Jane Pauley. They brought oh, Jane really? Pauley in from, yeah, from Indianapolis, and she was a total novice. And um, my father wasn't um, unkind to her. He helped her, but it was just a bad fit. You know, the, the consultants told the news, um, the NBC, if, you know, it was at the time when Happy Talk News was coming in and people were doing... Um, 
co-anchors and it was yuck yuck and all that. And that was not my father. My father was a straight solo news guy. And so in their infinite wisdom, they hired uh, Jane Pauley to be with my father and it was a disaster. It just did not work. And so um, ironically, my dad got hired by the Today Show in like the mid 70s, 76, I think it was, 75. And he went to uh, New York, lived in Connecticut actually, Tim knows all about that. And um, uh, and shortly thereafter, Jane Pauley followed him. So it was Tom Brokaw, who used to work at the station my dad started, the newsroom my dad started in Omaha, and my father and Jane Pauley, the three of them. So the Jane and, and Tom would do the show, and my dad would do the news on the Today Show. So, you know, people could have seen him there. Cool. But, cool. Yeah. He had a real, um, what I felt to be an important style, and the and what was important to him about the news, what you did and you didn't do, and I I really appreciated that. Yeah, my dad was a straight newsman. He he was not interested in happy talk. He was not interested in in entertainment. He was interested interested in news. Period, and you know, no comments, no asides, no just straight news, and. Um, a lot of people uh, trusted him and admired him for that. Um, he, he was he was a very um, iconic newsman, and 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 really dominated the Chicago news. The ratings of that news program were off the chart. So when you cool. got into news, what was your position? What, what how did you get into well, in news business? You know, Dad took me to the news uh, room to the station early on when I was a kid. And I, used to, and I really liked it. It was, it was fun to go around the studio. They used to do live commercials back then. You know, that, they drive the car in and they talk about the car. They drive the car out. They roll in the refrigerator. They do that. You know, it was, it was crazy. It was all live. There was no such thing as, as videotape back then. And, um, of course, Dad's show was live. And I, I thought it was really fun. It was interesting. But I never, I never got the bug. I never got the thing that said, oh, I want to do this, you know. I actually wanted to be a doctor, and um, I went to university planning on being a doctor, and I, I was a ter terrible student, so it was pretty obvious that wasn't going to happen. So um, I, I, gradu I gravitated into uh, speech, theater, uh, psychology, sociology, you know, all things that just interested me that I thought were fun. And I ended up in a course called uh, Radio and TV production, I think it was. And, um, and not for any other reason other than it was part of the speech department. It was actually cross-listed as a journalism and speech course. And so I thought, that's cool. I'll try that. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was fun. We got to direct. We got to shoot. We got to put things on the air. We did the cue cards. We did, you know, we did everything. And um, the, I think the, stu the studio had, had lights in it. And if you didn't move the camera in the right direction, you could run into the lights. It was, it was really fancy. It's in the basement of some place in, in Lincoln. But um, that, uh, from that experience, I decided to declare journalism. I was a junior. And so I said, okay, journalism. You know, not, I didn't have the slightest idea what journalism was. And uh, I started taking journalism courses. And uh, some of them I did some of them I did really well in. I, I, I was, um, I had an innate ability to do film. I, I shot, and I did not get it at that time. That's what I should do, you know, but I like doing radio broadcasting and I did, took a film and video or not video, but um, still film and motion film course, which I aced and it was a lot of fun. And um, 
and a bunch of other forces. And at the end of that semester, that's ironic, little nepotism here, my, the man that my father hired in, in, uh, at the newsroom at KMTV had gone on to become the news director. So he, Mark Gatier was his name, Mark Gatier came to Lincoln to hire an intern and he interviewed people. And I was one of three people that he was considering to be an intern in 1969 in the summer at the TV station. And, you know, for obvious reasons, I got the job. And so I, I went to uh, Omaha. I transferred from Lincoln to Omaha. I still had a little bit of school left. And, um, and I started my internship in Omaha at KMTV. And I, we did all kinds of things. I, it was like summer relief for the reporters, the photographers, the editors, and so on and so forth. And back then we were shooting film. We were shoot, believe it or not, we were shooting black and white film, Tri-X and 4X. And if you had a really big story, you could call in the Oricon, which was a sound camera, and you could record an interview, which I can remember doing with the Black Panthers, by the way. Interesting little wow. story. And... Um, so I replaced all these guys, and I was not a very good reporter. I, 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 I could make a mess of that in a hurry, but, but I was a good shooter, and I liked the business. It was a lot of fun. So um, things progressed, and I actually ended up leaving KMTV after a couple of years, and I went to a, a competing station in Omaha, KETV, and I worked there for a few years, and I actually was, was um, uh, on the air for a little while, and I was doing the news, and I was not very good at doing the news. I was kind of a head case, you know. It was that being on the air is a head is, a, is an ego trip, as far as I'm concerned. And so, you know, some people handle it well, some people don't. I didn't. I was not good at that, you know. I I just got all twisted up. So, um, they ended up taking me. I went on vacation. They ended up taking me off the air while I was on vacation. <laughs> and when I came back, I found out the. Re they never even asked me about it. But when I came back, I found out the reason was my hair was too long. It was 1969, <laughs> and it probably wasn't even as long as it is now. And so they, they took me off the air, and um, and I said, fine, you know, I'll just I'll do something else. So I went. I did a little professional theater. I was um, I was in a, a production, a dinner theater production of Camelot, and I was supposed to do the next show, which was Oklahoma, and I bailed. I decided I didn't want to do that. And I moved <laughs> out to to uh, Colorado. <laughs> And I cut down trees on a, on a, to make a ski run out there, and then I worked in a sawmill, and uh, I was all planning to have a ski pass for the winter, and which I did. Cost, believe this or not, it cost $175 for a ski pass for the year at Steamboat Springs, Colorado. <laughs> but it's about $175 a day now, you know? Yeah. But um, I skied for about a week. I couldn't find a job. I was willing to take it. I could not find any kind of job. And so I got bored with skiing every day. So I just said, the hell with it and left. And can't remember, I probably gave my ski pass to somebody, but <clears throat> went back to Omaha. I, I always, I kind of gravitated away from Omaha and then back to Omaha and away from it. Came back to Omaha and um, worked, did some construction work, met my first wife. Uh, we got married. We, we moved to Kansas City. We left, went out to San Francisco, uh, did the hippie thing for a little while. Uh, lived in a van, traveled around the western United States and made jewelry and stuff, strung beads and sold them at college campuses and had, you know, sold our oats, had a lot of fun. And um, then it became time to get serious, so we decided to get married, and um, she got pregnant immediately, right before we got married, actually. Oops, wasn't supposed to say that. But uh, <laughs> you can edit that if you want. 
<laughs> but um, uh, we got married, and um, I, now I needed a serious job. You know, now I had to get a job that, that would make me some money on a regular basis. So I, um, I applied for stations. I applied for one in, um, in San Antonio, Texas. And um, I applied for one in uh, Cleveland. And I applied for one in, um, at one in Omaha, the station that I had just left. And oddly, that's the one that picked me up was the station I had just left. So, I mean, not just, but been a number of years. But I went back to that station. And when I went back, I was just a photographer editor. No more reporting for me. I was just, just doing that. You know, no air work, you know, just, just co-producing and shooting and, and editing. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I kind of, kind of developed doing that. And then my, our news director got um, hired in Denver, at KMGH in Denver, and he took me along. So um, I, w I was actually wanting to go to Sacramento, and I got a job offer after um, I had committed to uh, David Henderson, who was our news director, used to work for CBS, um, to go with him. And I, I decided I would pass on Sacramento and go to Denver. So um, did, went to Denver, did news for a couple of years, and... Um, I, you know, I, I was, I, at that point I'd been doing news for about 10 years or something off and on. And I was kind of burned out on, on going to ending up in places that people didn't want me to be. And so, um, I was sent out to a pretty grisly murder scene, uh, where this paraplegic had, had killed his roommate or the cops thought he would kill his roommate. He said that he died of natural causes, but whatever way that happened, he took it upon himself to get out his electric knife and cut the body up into pieces <laughs> and put the pieces in plastic bags, garbage bags, and run around on his motorized wheelchair and deposit them on his neighbor's doorsteps. Yikes. Oh, my God. And, yeah, right. What? I know, right? So I got there and I said, you know what? I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. And I called them up, the newsroom up, the assignment editor. I said, you got to send somebody else. I don't want to do this, you know. So I went back, and that was that was kind of my exit from hard news. And I they put me with a, a feature guy named Ed O'Malley, and we did nothing but features for the next year. And it was actually became the most popular thing on our newscast. And I ended up winning the NPPA uh, Photographer of the Year Award for Region nice. 9 just on features, which is hard because you're going up against the straight news junkies, you know, the fires and the murders and all that stuff. And um, I really I, I won it big time. And so that was fun. But then I, you know, it kind of got to the end of that run. We were doing, we were doing two or three, sometimes four features a week. Anybody that's done features knows that's a lot of features because they're not easy to produce and kind of ran out of them. And I saw a show called PM Magazine, which was being produced in Denver. It had a lot of markets, a lot of affiliates had that show. And I said, I want to do that. And so I went and talked to PM Magazine and they had an opening and they hired me. And so I, I stayed there for a couple of years, and um, and we did really well. We I won um, I won an Emmy there for Region Nine, a couple Emmys actually. I was a part of an Iris Award uh, for the Coors International Bike Race, and uh, I was very successful. But uh, things were getting pretty weird at home. My my uh, marriage was real shaky. Uh, my kids were young. My son was four. My daughter was set, six. I guess. And um, I decided it was time to leave. I, I came out to the Big Island and visited some friends of mine, and I just loved it. I just fell in love with this place, and I wanted to move here and, and uh, change my life and build my home. And, and um, 
and live over here. But, you know, this place is like a video wasteland. So I, but I was done with the news at that point. I was like, I'm out. You come here, you've got no equipment, right? Right. I didn't want to do the business anymore. I was burned out. I was, I was, you know, enough TV. I want to do something else. I didn't want to grow a pot, but I ended up growing a pot a little bit. <laughs> well, because it, number one, it was illegal. Number two, if you get busted, you could, you know, you could have big problems. And I didn't want to do that, you know. Well, there's that, and I yeah. didn't for a long time. I finally did a little bit, but um, that was not my route to go, you know. But it, this this place is a video wasteland, you know. There's not there's not much video that goes on over here. And so if you want to do video, you have to create your own niche. And and inadvertently, that's what I did. I, I got the, the first story I ever got hired to do over here was um, Green Harvest. The helicopters used to come. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the police used to come and, and bust people who were in pot, and they use helicopters and they fly around because pot looks different from everything else in the jungle. And they'd spot it and drop down and, you know, it's either confiscate it and or bust the people that were ruining it if they knew who they were. So um, they sent me out to here to Leilani, actually. I was in Leilani Park and a call came through. It said, um, uh, helicopter down, helicopter down, Capono and, and Leilani. And nobody moved. All these, all these policemen in their cars and they're just sitting there. And I went, well, that's weird. Why wouldn't they be going, you know, and I found out later. They didn't know where that was. What? You know, because because they were all from Oahu, they weren't from here, <laughs> Oahu and Maui, and you know whatever. So I I got I knew where it was because I lived here. So I got in my car and I drove to the scene. You know, and I see the cops going in the jungle. So I grab my gear and I go run in to, to shoot this thing. And I'm kind of hiding in the bushes, and I see the blade of the helicopter sticking up through the trees. And I see here comes the pilot out. He's got blood coming down his head and all this. And with the cops, and they see me and they freak. You know, they see me and the guy comes over and grabs my camera and says, turn that thing off. What are you doing in here? Blah, 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 blah. You know, I, whoa, you know. So um, then the, the, what does the news do? They don't, they don't run with the story of the crash. They run with the story of the police attacking the photographer, you know, which is the last <laughs> thing I need. I, I told them not to do that, but of course they did it anyway. There's but, that old um, adage, right? Um, shoot the news, don't be the news. Yeah, yeah. Exa exactly. <laughs> and I didn't want to be the news, but apparently they thought I was. So, um, you know, life went on. But I, I, I at some point, um, I got a call from KHON, from Kent Baker at KHON TV in, in uh, Honolulu. And he said, there's an eruption going on at Pu'u'o'o, and we want you to go down in a helicopter and go fly it. And I thought, cool, you know, that's, that's different. You know, so I went up and flew the, the first time. It was, um, it was 1985, I think, late 84 or early 1985. And um, I was blown away. I was absolutely in shock that the, it was probably, she was probably erupting, I don't know, eight or 900 feet, something like that, maybe a thousand feet. And, you know, my mind couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was this huge, huge lava fountain, you know, liquid rock, which is kind of unbelievable in the first place, doing something that rock's not supposed to do, you know, shooting up in the air and falling down to earth. And it was like it was in slow motion because it was going so far that it would just go up slowly and peek over the top and come down and hit the ground and spatter. I was like, holy cow, you know. The very first time we flew past it, it was so hot. 
I couldn't remember what I was doing. I, I couldn't remember which way to turn the lens to focus the camera. It really, it was really hot. And I said something to my pilot, and he thought that was hysterical. He laughed, you know. And then he looked at the plexiglass to see if we bubbled the plexiglass, you know. But um, that was my that was my first touch with Pele, and it was it's kind of like you know I'll I'll I want you to know I'm here, and you know. I'm going to send you a little bit of heat, but you know, it was never that hot again as I, I mean, I've, I've been in lots of situations that were hot, that hot and hotter, but flying past it generally was not as hot. And, um, that was interesting. I was totally fascinated with it. And back then it used to erupt every three to four weeks, the high fountain erupt and do nothing in between. I mean, do nothing visible in between. And so we would go up and every month and shoot it. That news would call me, and I was just—I was kind of on call when it happened because it only lasted for anywhere from 10, 12 hours to a, maybe a little over a day, mostly not over a day. So they didn't, people didn't have time to get here to shoot it. It was over before they got here. So I was kind of um, Johnny on the spot, and um, we did it month after month, and I got some amazing pictures, some amazing video, and. Um, after a while, 1986, late August of 1986, I think it was the last time she high fountain erupted. And it was when the sli- the uh, Sliver crew, no, not Sliver, um, what was the other movie with, what's her name, that came into your gallery? Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow. They were here shooting oh. uh, Black Widow, and they, they actually hired my helicopter company to go out and land out Winger, there yeah. and shoot that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Deborah Winger, yeah. And... Um, so we couldn't fly that day. I was mad. I was I was very unhappy because they committed to flying them. And so I ended up in Glenwood, shooting it from Glenwood. And it was actually interesting shots because you could see it from Glenwood and you could put people in the foreground and stuff. And it, it was kind of a cool shot. But uh, that was the last time. It was over after that. And um, we'd actually been, been trying to put out the word to people to um, submit songs to do... Uh, a volcano video. You know, videos were big back then. Music videos were big. So we were going to take a crew, a, a, a group of people out and land out there and have them, you know, lip sync their song while the volcano was erupting behind them, which I thought was really cool. Well, the whole thing stopped before we were able to do that. But the best song that we got, I can't remember the group, but it was it was submitted by a woman lead singer, and it was called Erupting for Your Love. <laughs> Which I thought was really cool. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of things you could say about that. But, um, too many. Anyway, we, 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 didn't, we didn't do that. But, but, you know, the volcano continued to erupt and it, it changed its pattern. It did a fissure eruption at Pu'u'u'u'u. It, it uh, for, finally uh, settled at Kupayanaha. It formed a lava lake and it started feeding flows that went down the hill. And up to that point, the flows that came out of Putuolo, if they were really big, would make it to the poly and go over the, the poly, which is the sea cliffs. And it would go over, over the, the cliffs down there, which is about two miles from the ocean. But it would never make it to the ocean. And there were a few houses in Willow Gardens and a few got taken back then. But for the most part, it was, it was in the middle of nowhere. Well, now, uh, because she had a lake and she was feeding flows and it, it tubed, it created tubes, and it made a transportation system to get down to the coast. And it took a bunch of houses in Kapa'ahu and went to the ocean again. And so I said, you know what, now I've got a story. Now I've got something that I can do a video on. And so it was 1986, and um, late 1986, and I did 
my first show, which was Volcano Shapes, Pele's March to the Pacific. And it was right when VHS tapes were coming uh, out and people were chomping at the bit to buy VHS tapes. Our first uh, tapes that we sold were $49.95 a piece. Wow. Which is crazy, right? And we actually so actually sold, what was it? I sold a hundred, I sold 250 of those at that price before we ever produced the show. I just took a little flyer down to my helicopter place and said, hey, we're shooting this show. And I showed a little blip of what we shot that day. And if you're interested in this, here, send your forty nine ninety five. We'll send you a copy. And so, you know, we, we had a bunch of money before we ever did it. But when we put it out, it, it became wildly popular. Pele is the most feared and respected Hawaiian deity. Her eruptive performances are truly one of the most awesome events on Earth. I don't think my dad really thought too much about my project when I first asked him to cut some tracks for me. I think he figured that I was just fooling around in Hawaii, playing on the beach and so on. But he agreed to do the narration. And then that just turned into year after year, replacing, periodically replacing that with another show, doing an update, doing an update, doing an update, which continues today, except now there's no media to put it out. <laughs> so... You know, here we're so used to uh, what the cameras are now and what we're able to. But what I used to be amazed at is when you used to go down to Kalapana to shoot footage and then put it in the news, the equipment that you took out with you and your process of what you would do to get that footage into town. So you're shooting for the news. What's that like? Well, you know, initially when I was walking out to the lava flow, it was I, I never had anybody help me. I was like. I don't know, 40, early 40s, you know, and I, I was young and I thought I could do it myself and I did it myself. And I, I would carry a tripod, batteries, um, a recorder. You didn't have a camera, a recorder in the camera with separate units, right? So I had a camera, an umbilical cord, a recorder, um, a tripod, a bag of batteries and tapes, and I would carry all that stuff out by myself. Oh, and and sometimes, sometimes it was a long ways away. And a camera? Yeah. And a camera. And um, then... Um, sometimes it was a long way, sometimes it wasn't, but, um, I never thought too much about it, but where it really, where it really, uh, became, um, what's the right word? Um, when it became difficult, became a, 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 a timing thing was when Kalapana started to happen in 1990, the flow came down to Kalapana and, um, I would go, I pretty much lived down there anyway, and I would shoot all day, and then I would race the tape to the airport and had another recorder inside my, um, in my VW van, and I would record the one tape to the other tape, because I always sent separate tapes to the news. Each news station got a separate tape. So there were three news stations, so one got the original, two got dubs. You know, I would I would dub them all on the way to the airport, and then I would ship them all out to each That's individual crazy. station. Yeah, it was nuts. It was totally nuts. And then at some point, I talked him into making a dub, so whoever I sent it to would make dubs for the other <laughs> stations. So who I sent it to would get it first, but the other stations would get it from them, and they, they were all, you know, uh, good with that, you know, because it worked for everybody and made it a lot easier on me. But it was, it was a really a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And when I started shooting for the news, they paid me $75 a shoot. It was nothing. <laughs> it was just a drop in the bucket. You know, if you got all the stations, you could make, what, two and a quarter, you know? Whoa. And you... Many times for the national news or international would be uh, 
you know, hired to go off island. And one of the ones in particular was when Fern uh, Ferdinand Marcos uh, was in Honolulu. Yeah, the the, new, the national news, usually uh, ABC was the one I worked for the most, I think, would send me to Honolulu. And at that time, it was go sit in Marcos's driveway and wait for him to die, you know, because oh, they, they, well, they got word that his death was imminent. Whether it was or not, he was sick. And so they had to go say, well, and that never happened, of course, but we would sit in the driveway and if a car came in or out, we'd shoot it, you know, not knowing who it was. And every once in a while, they would let us in. And one time they let us in and we got to do an interview with him. And he, he was very guarded with the U.S. press because they weren't very nice to him. And, you know, they, they knew that he had or accused him of having uh, stashed $800 million from uh, the Philippines and ripped off the country. And so they pressed him on that. They, they were all over him about that. And mm -hmm. so he was pretty much tight lipped with them, you know, but one time I got hired by Turkish television and Turkey being, um, uh, independent and, uh, what's the right word? Neutral. Neutral. Turkey is a neutral country. So, um, he didn't mind talking to them. He would open up to them. And so that was kind of, uh, revealing, you know, because he was much looser but what was really interesting about that was we did the interview with Marcos in the morning and then uh, we had lunch. They, they fed us lunch and they had this, it was up in Makiki Heights when they were up Makiki Heights and they had tents set up up there for, for bigger events, you know, but it was just like six of us or four of us, whatever it was. And Marcos would sit there and we got our food at the buffet and sat down. It was really good food, ate our food and he just sat there. He didn't eat. And then when we finished, he ate. It was like this, caste system, you know. And um, when he got done eating, the reporter was talking to him about, we'd like to do an interview with um, Mrs. Marcos Imelda. and Imelda. And um, he said, well, I'll see what I can do. And so instead of calling her on the phone or sending her a message or something, he sits down with a pen and paper and writes in longhand the request that this television station is making to do an interview with her. I like that. And said, yeah, I'm going to start, doing, be, that. I'll start doing that here at home. I like that idea. Yeah, don't hold your breath. And <laughs> so they send it off to Imelda and she says no. <laughs> and so they, yeah, so they, we, so I'm, I'm sitting around waiting for another day to see if they can get it out. And the next day she says no. And so I'm waiting for another day and then they ask her again, she says no. <laughs> Eventually, she says, yes, I think it took four tries or something. And two, three, three, four days later, we go and sit down and do an interview with her. And that was really interesting. She comes out and she's got a diamond on her finger that's the size of my thumb. You know, I mean, it was huge. Yeah. She's got a makeup case that's gold with Imelda written across it in cursive and diamonds. You know, it's like, whoa. Crazy. I didn't ask her about her shoes. I didn't know about her shoes at that time. <laughs> I was going to ask um, if saw it. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, she was, she was pretty interesting. The first time we came there, the first time I ever saw her and we ever did an interview with Ferdinand was with the, the U.S. press. And we walked in and she was in the dining room. And she was alternately walking around going, lo, 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 lo. and then she'd sit in the corner and cry. It was like this manic, depressive thing. We were all, whoa, you know, what's going on here? So um, that was pretty strange. But, you know, in the interview, she was very lighthearted and, and talked about when she met Ferdinand and how exciting it was and yada, yada, yada. 
you know, the stories of princes and princesses and all that. And it was, um, it was interesting. So I did, I did that once in a while. It wasn't something I did a lot of, but every once in a while I get called to go do stuff like that. Something you've done for years and years, and it's nice to bring uh, Tim and Bruce in on this, but um, talk about how you got hired uh, the first time to shoot Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first time. You know, back in the in the 80s, in the mid-80s, Iron Man was not brand new, but really young. And, um, and the whole thing was different than it is now. I mean, just completely different. There were very few restrictions as to where you could go to shoot it. The, the course was open. So I, I actually got a call from a guy named Mr. Allen. And he said, I want you to shoot my son in the Iron Man. And he's got a really good chance to win. And his name is Mark Allen. And I went, yeah, right. Yeah, he's got a you know, really good chance. <laughs> one, of the chances, one of the chances of this, if this guy's calling me up and out of the blue, this guy's got a, well, well, he did. You know, he starts out the race. He comes in first in the swim. I think it was first in the swim. He, he takes the bike. He's in the lead the whole way. He's in the lead all the way to the run. And he takes the run, and I, I was, I'm shooting him out on the course. I get some fantastic shots of him. And this is all for his personal video. This isn't for a TV station. This is just for him, you know. And um, at the time, I had dropped off my kids and my first wife at the beach at Hapuna. And so during Mark's run, I leave and go pick them up or do whatever it was I did with them and come back. And while I was gone, he lost the lead. And I was at the finish line, and he caught the finish line. I think he came in third or something like that. But um, he was disappointed, of course. I'm blown away that he was even in it, you know, and especially blown away that he was leading. And, of course, disappointed that I wasn't there for the switchover. But, um, you know, at that time, you could go right to the finish line. As a photographer, you could shoot it. You could walk into the medical tent with them. You know, you could go any place you wanted to. There were a few lines up, but it was it was really easy. And if you got a, a nice camera, a big camera, they'd let you go wherever you wanted. You know, not now. You know, not now. You can't yeah, go to the so porta potty unless you have a pass. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so what, um, what about what I always got was interested. Uh, didn't want to really watch you do it, but uh, out on the long course, you used to ride backwards on the oh, motorcycle. Yeah, we should ride. Uh, <laughs> We used to take a motorcycle. Motorcycle was the best way to shoot that because, well, actually, shooting out, of, I used to shoot out of the side of my VW bus, which is a great way to shoot because then you can get right next to them and you can shoot close up to their feet and eyes and the whole thing. But uh, when, they, when they stopped that, when they prevented people from going out of the course, they had motorcycles that would take guys out, still photographers and video guys. And I was on a, a BMW, and the BMW. Um, I could sit backwards in the seat and shoot shoot them coming toward me or we could go next to them or, you know, wherever. So that was that was fun. You know, it was a little sketchy sometimes, but it, it was fun. If the bike made a sudden move, I wasn't like I was belted in, you know. <laughs> so and there were a couple of times, but it had saddlebags. So I put my feet in the saddlebags, you know. That but, takes um, skills. That was fun. That's I how they it. do the Tour de France, too. Yeah. I like doing that. That <laughs> was actually, that, that kind of thing was actually developed at, at the Coors Bicycle Race in Colorado years before mm. that. Hey, Mick, so the Ironman is where you met Tim, right? Yeah, years after that. It was probably, what, Tim, two, 2008 or 
eight, nine, somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And and we were both working for ESPN Down Under with a guy named Jason Bennett, crazy Jason Bennett. And um, and it was really fun. You know, they it, it, it was a job that I could do at that time because it wasn't crazy running all over the course. They got their video feed from NBC, and we would just do uh, basically pre-race and interviews and post-race and stuff like that in the finish line. Yeah, so it was, like a, you know, it was work. Post, yeah. yeah, it wasn't easy work, but it was a lot easier than, you know, being a, like you're 17 years old running all over. So yeah. I want to know, Tim, what did you think when this island shooter showed up? Oh, Mick? Yeah. So I, I got forewarned a little bit by uh, by Jason, who was our, our producer slash talent. And he said, uh, yeah, hired this guy, Mick, and uh, another audio guy from the island. And uh, Jason said something like, he's he's a character. This guy's a real character. And, <laughs> really? Uh, he, yeah, he lived up to his, uh, his billing. Why, why, why would he say that? Yeah. I don't know. You just, uh, you wore it all on your sleeve. <laughs> but well, no, um, re- no reason to hold back, right? Yeah, no, Mick and I hit it off pretty much right away. I was editing out of a hotel room at the Sheridan. Um, barely saw the light of day during the, the week <laughs> I was here for Iron Man. But one day I got to go out and tag along with them because uh, otherwise I was just going to be waiting for the footage. So, Where did yeah, we go? Uh, I think we were at the hot corner there, which was, what, well, what intersection is that? Um, Kalani and um, yeah. Kuakini. Yeah. 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 And I remember yeah, we were doing stand-ups. Spot. Yeah. We're, we're with Jason and his co-host was uh, Maka, Chris McCormick, oh, the uh, great oh, yeah. Australian Ironman. And uh, yeah. we were getting ready to do a stand-up in... Your audio guy, Mick, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, he was Sean. Sean. He was super sensitive to the noises around us. And he, of course, he has the headphones on like I have on now. So he can hear, it's like bionic hearing with these things. You hear things that you you don't hear with the (laughs) the naked ear. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I swear I thought he put his ear down to the ground, like, you know, listening for um, horses or something. He said, wait, 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 wait. We can't record. There's, There's a truck coming. And that truck took about <laughs> 10 minutes to get to us. I think it was about five <laughs> miles away. <laughs> but that was fun. Yeah, that was Sean. That's great. Yeah, when, when I met Tim, that, that was interesting because a lot of, a lot of editors are um, very quiet, reserved, don't talk very much, don't express very much. And you know, Tim and I connected right off the bat. You know, Tim was, Tim was very expressive and we, we, uh, we had a connection there. So that was fun. Little did I know, ten years later, I'd be living on the Big Island, and we'd be producing yeah. a documentary together and chasing <laughs> yeah. volcanoes. And little did you know, you ruined the day when you I met didn't, me. Exactly. I didn't know there was a volcano here when I first came here and met Mick. I had no idea there was even a, a erupting volcano. I said, "Mick, what do you do when you're not doing Iron Man?" Oh, I I chase and I shoot and document the volcano. Uh, where? <laughs> <laughs> In my backyard, as Bruce said. Yeah, right. <laughs> I used to shoot the Iron Man too. So I remember being on the finish line and somebody taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and it's Mick. It's like, hey. (laughs) Okay, guys. So thanks to the magic of video, I'm now at Lilio Filani Park and we thought we'd do a little gear review for you. So this is the camera that I use. This is a Canon C300 Mark II, that is. I got it a couple of years ago. Just in time for the big eruption outside or inside of Leilani and outside of Leilani. Um, it shoots a beautiful picture. 
Uh, this is my the lens that I picked up. It's a little bit short and not quite as wide as I'd like it, but it's a good lens for shooting out of the helicopter, which is what I do most of the time because I'm an old guy and I can't do the other things that young guys do. But um, uh, this, this, you can exchange lenses, put different lenses. It's an EF mount. Um, it has a, a stabilizer internally, which I don't use either because I use a gyro underneath the camera. And it takes two CFAST cards back here, which will shoot 4K or HD. And then we also have an SD card on the other side that'll do a proxy video of HD quality. Actually pretty good. Most of my stuff I put up from the eruption was just the proxy video. But when we sell stock, people want 4K, so we supply them with 4K. Okay, so if you're interested in any of these products, just check the links below. What's, what's the takeaway? What would you say when looking at... Um, you're like, what is the meaning of life? Could be, could be. <laughs> now I'm on the edge of my seat. You know, I, I think the takeaway is, I remember when I moved here, I had a lot of friends in Denver. They threw a party for me when I left there. And uh, so many people said to me, you're doing what everybody dreams about doing and, and nobody ever does it. And I, at the time, I didn't really understand what they were saying, you know, but I, I think what it is is lots of people would like to run off to a tropical island and do something different with their lives, but they're afraid to. You know, now, now I have to confess that, you know, alcohol and drugs played a part in that whole thing. You know, I didn't just do it um, so in a sober state of mind. But, um, but I did, I wanted an adventure. I wanted to do something different. You know, I didn't want to just, as I say, live and die in Denver. You know, De Denver, I kind of played it out. I enjoyed Denver. It was a lot of fun. Uh, there were a lot of cool things that we did, but enough already. You know, it's kind of kind of the end of the run for me. And I, I wanted to go someplace else and do something different. Now, that said, I didn't come here to shoot video. And I, I actually had seen the volcano. One time I came out here um, and I went down to, um, there's a little poo, I forget the name of it now, behind PGV. And a friend of mine took me up, before PGV was there, took me up on that poo and we looked right straight up the rift to see poo erupting. That's probably... What, Bruce, 20 miles, 25 miles? It's a long way. Yeah, but 15 it's, or 20 it's, maybe, yeah. It's the, only, it's the only location where you could see it erupting up in the air, down on the ground, and splatter on the ground and run away in rivers. There was no, you could <laughs> awesome. see it erupting from Glenwood and the dump and, and even from Hilo sometimes. But you did, mm -hmm. couldn't see that perspective of the whole thing and the, and the whole lava flow run and everything. And that was the first time I ever saw it, and I was blown away. You know, that, that just fascinated me, absolutely fascinated me. You know, little did I know, that was early on. I think that was uh, 13th eruption or something like that yeah. out of 47. So, you know, it wasn't wow. that long after that that I moved here and, and started shooting it. But um, what a sight. What an incredible sight. So anyway, back to the question, My, I think... Uh, I remember my grandmother said to me one time, I asked her, uh, she was probably in her 70s or 80s. Wait a minute, I'm in my 70s. What am I talking about? <laughs> and I said to her, what, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? And she said, I would take more chances. Mm. Which was kind of odd because she wasn't that kind of a person. Mm. You know, she was very conservative and very sweet 
the little lady, you know, but she said mm -hmm. I would take more chances. And I, I, you know, there's something to that for me. I, I, I go back to class reunions and stuff in Chicago and I see my friends back there who have lived in Chicago their whole life and worked for Electromotive. And, you know, they, they've never left Chicago. They've never left Illinois. Maybe on a vacation, but, you know, they've been there. I couldn't have done that. There is no way that I could have done that. I, I had to go do something different with my life. And I've, mm. I'm really happy that I did that, you know, for better or for worse. And some of it's been a lot better and some of it's been a lot worse. But, you know, <laughs> I'm glad I did it. You know, I'm glad I did this because now, now I don't have that thing inside me that says, oh, I wish I'd, you know. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't have regrets in terms of what I haven't done. I have some regrets about what I have done, not what I haven't done. <laughs> anyway, how's that for a takeaway? That's, That's a great takeaway, yeah. babe. Love effects. My viral moment, the only thing I've ever shot that's gone viral, the thing that everybody knows me from, the smiley face in mm. Pu'u'o'o. Bruce was there. Yeah, that was a great flight. It was a nice shot, but it was kind of, to me... Um, disappointing that, you know, the, after all the things I've shot in my life up here, that'd be the thing that I'd be remembered for, you know? And when we <laughs> saw it on the footage, we went, uh-oh. You know, it's like... Oh, yeah, I knew immediately, immediately that people knew. would pick up on that. But that's why yeah. I didn't say anything. I didn't mention it on there. I didn't say anything about it. Smiley says, bam, he picked it up. You know, crazy. Yeah, and that was the day that Michael flew with us. And because right. he was shooting video... I decided I would be a nice guy and let him sit behind the mic. And, and you never did that again. Never, yeah. <laughs> never got the shot. Was that a flash of the the mug, Tim? Yes, Tim. Oh yeah, I just happened just to I got, happened I just to got have thirsty a... and I just happened to go get a, another ah. <laughs> his favorite mug, the smiley face. You there think, it is. It's oh, either the on Hawaiian time. Or it's, um, it's if that. You, if you, you can see us online, there's Tim with the mug. On a Hawaiian time mug yeah, or shucks. smiley face mug. I forgot my on Hawaiian time mug, so I've got my lava bubble mug. Well, that's, hey, that's cool. Cool. So Mick and cool. Ann, have you guys just retired off the royalties from the smiley face? Oh, jeez, really? <laughs> we, we still have. We're waiting we, for that check. Yeah. If anyone's out there got that check, please. We send still it have now. copies of the smiley face, like the one you have. We don't have any of the color changing, the ones you go from black to reveal when you make it hot. So where can people buy those mugs? Um in on eBay probably. <laughs> no. He's talking about Your the, goodwill. He's, he's or... talking about the ones we have, honey. How can oh. they I will have to go in and check. I'm not sure if we even have any left. Yes, we do. Mm. Check the show notes, everybody. Check the show yeah, notes for more absolutely. details. Absolutely, <laughs> Mick. I've had the opportunity to sit in during some of your editing, the rough cuts, and uh, look at a lot of the footage that that's going into your new documentary. And I love the flashbacks of you on camera describing where you are, what's going on. It's like jumping into a time machine, you know, with with Mick Calber, <laughs> the thirty five year <laughs> retrospective, and like we get to actually go back over the decades and, and see you along the way too. I think that's awesome. Well, hanging out with me is kind of like going back into a time machine, though, Tim. <laughs> um, yeah, one one of those that you're talking about that I that was really fun was um, 
they took us to a, a, a USGS took us to an event called the Cookie Monster. And the Cookie Monster was on the, I want to say the south side of Puuo'o. And it was when lava was being fed out and it had formed this, I don't know, I guess it was a vent temporarily. And at this point it was a skylight. But it looked just like the Cookie Monster, you know. It had the, the teeth kind of hanging down, and you could look in, and the lava was going by, and it was kind of a rounded dome, you know. I'm walking on an active lava tube right now. The lava beneath my feet is 2,000 degrees hot. Right up here, we can see into the lava tube. This is what we call a skylight, a window. It's a break in the lava tube that lets us look down inside and see the lava rolling by. Man, that is hot. Some people say this is like looking into the gates of hell. And um, we were out there walking on the lava flow that was running underneath Cookie Monster. And so we're walking on top of 2,000 degree hot lava and um, it felt like 2,000 degree hot lava. It was crazy. Another one was at Pu'u'u'u. Um, one time I landed out there with my pilot, uh, John Greenway. And he, had to, he, he was dropping me off out there so I could shoot a dome in the bottom of the vent. The cone at this point still retains most of its height, about seven or 800 feet or so, but the throat has widened from 60 feet across to over 400 feet. But I couldn't shoot it from, from standing back. I had to go right up to the edge. But the problem is I can't stand back here and shoot what's going on there because I can't see it. So I've got to step over these cracks and stand right at the edge and shoot down into the fiery abyss. And so I step over these big cracks that I know are, I'm standing on a piece that's gonna be falling into the, into the vent at some <laughs> point, hopefully not while I'm standing there, and shoot straight down to shoot that, that um, dome, which is probably 40, 50 feet high. And it was, you know, if I hadn't been shooting, I probably couldn't stand there. But because I'm detached and I'm paying attention to focus and, and uh, f-stop and, and so on, uh, I'm distracted and I'm able to shoot that. I didn't stay there more than a couple of minutes, but that was amazing. It's just undulating, 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 you know, this amazing, amazing thing. Awesome. Amazing video you've got of that, yeah. that Mick. And, that you was know, fun. Your, your catalog in general is, is mind-blowing. Um, the I remember during the eruption helping to evacuate you out and move all of your beta videotapes out. And there was just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of lava And that's after footage. I gave most of the three-quarter-inch ones to Ulu Ulu, so <laughs> to the state archive. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I have hundreds and hundreds of, of tapes. And all of Pretty your documentaries are, are now available on Vimeo, right? For that's rent. right. Yeah, everything yeah. is on Vimeo now, and uh, and they're cheap. You know, you can watch the whole series for fifteen bucks. It's a good binge. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I'll say we'll share the link <laughs> in the uh, the show notes in the description below for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's right. that is quite a a history there. Yeah, you can't get that anywhere for under fifteen yeah. bucks. Absolutely. Well, that was great, honey. I really appreciate you um, sharing all that. Thanks for accommodating me, guys. Thanks for not making fun was of great. me while I told you my story. No. <laughs> Enjoyed impressed. it. Yeah. Awesome, Nick. Yeah. Awesome, damn it. Awesome. Nick's favorite word, not. <laughs> not. <laughs> we'll get into that in another episode. <laughs> yeah. Some of our favorite and unfavorite words. There you go. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> well, now it's time for what? The end of the show. Time to say goodbye. <laughs>
Oh, I don't want to say goodbye. It's it makes not me goodbye. Sad. We'll see them very soon. It's mahalo. It's just, it's just until next time. Yes. All hey, right. Well, I guess that wraps it up. That does. What? But let's let's share one thing um, because we've got some exciting news. We have an easier domain to remember now. You don't have to go to onhawaiantimepodcast.com if you don't want to. You still can, but you can also go to oht.rocks now. OHT.rocks. Why OHT.rocks? It's easy. Easy to remember. Easy and short. Yeah, new. OHT rocks. There's a new domain, what would you call it, extension out there, .rocks. Really? OHT.rocks. That's all you have to type in, and you'll go right to our website. You can sign up for our e-newsletter. Get on that list. Be the first to get notified when we drop new episodes, bonus content. We're going to give merchandise discounts. All sorts of good stuff there. We want you on our e-newsletter list so we can share more stuff with you. We won't spam you. <laughs> no way. And Bruce, how can people get some of those wonderful pictures behind you there? Oh, um, we're going to have some of them for sale on oht.rocks. No, right? they, we're cool. not going to. We do. They're there. <laughs> <I> do. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, or you can visit my website too, extremeexposure.com. Cool. And hopefully you'll be opening up that shop soon, right? Yeah, looks like travel restrictions are going to be lifted soon, and uh, we'll be opening our doors shortly after. Great. Nice. Good deal. Hey, and I've got I've got Peaberry coffee. Peaberry. 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 Yeah, nice. This, this is really delicious. That's Lovely. premium, huh? The peaberries yep. are premium beans. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. My favorite. Very Can't flavorful. Wait to try it. Yeah. Uh, we got to right. get that bag on to oht.rocks. Guess what, Bruce? It's already What's there. That? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Bruce, it sounds like you're pretty much behind <laughs> the, the times. The, the, the magic of releasing episodes. Yeah. Tim is a little fast. bit a little bit after, you know. So. <laughs> it's the sleight of hand. It's smoke that. and mirrors. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Good deal. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us today, you guys. Thanks yeah, for listening thanks, to my silly story. Yeah. Thanks, thanks Annie. Thank thanks, you. Bruce. Thanks, Anne. That's great. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, See you next thanks, time. Tim. Aloha. Take care. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.